Good morning, everyone. My name is Bharat Gopalaswamy, and I'm the acting director of the South Asia Center. I'm stealing Shuja's joke, which he just made a few minutes ago. He said, in, at the UN, we usually start with an hour and a half lag, and in Washington, we just start with 10 minutes lag. So we thank you for your patience for waiting. And we are very delighted to have Pakistan, the Pakistani Foreign Secretary, Mr. Aizaz Hamad Chaudhry, who is here on his third round of strategic dialogue with Washington. Um, he's here to review progress on a variety of uh, cooperation, such as the arms control, international security, defense, science and technology, counterterrorism, and economic engagements. In this context, Pakistan is also at a very interesting stage. Um, it, its ties with its neighbors are more critical than ever at this, at this point. And today he will discuss some of those ties and some of those initiatives that are pursued by Pakistan. And we are very glad and delighted to hear from him. Um, th this will proceed as follows. Um, Mr. Chaudhry will be delivering his remarks for a maximum of 15 to 20 minutes, and then we will f that will be followed by a roundtable discussion with Shuja Nawaz, we are very who is our distinguished fellow at the moment. Thank you, and the floor is yours, Foreign Secretary. Thank you, Bharat. Uh, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, a very good morning to you. And I am truly delighted to be here and have this opportunity uh, to, sh to proffer some thoughts on a subject of interest to all of us. Um, this is my first opportunity to speak at the Atlantic Council, and which I consider a high privilege. The Atlantic Council has been a leader in conducting and disseminating scholarly research and stimulating intellectual vigor for policy analysis. And I have followed Atlantic Council's publications since my days here as a young diplomat in the 90s. I'm sure that the new young and bright team in the South Asia program will continue to meet the high standards that Mr. Shuja Nawaz has set over the past years. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a Never, there's never a dull moment in a foreign secretary's life, and every day you wake up to manage a new development, bringing in with it fresh challenges and opportunities. The spectacular speed of information and analysis sharing that flows from such international developments makes all partners in policy making. And before real decisions get taken anywhere, all that you have said on the social media matters. So I see our interests, concerns, hopes, and dreams all coming together in a shared space, making conversations like these all the more critical. I often recall the last days of the Cold War when we hoped, in fact, there was a kind of euphoria that the world was about to usher in to a new era of peace and harmony. Instead, what we have witnessed in the past two decades is a series of crises from financial meltdowns to terrorism and violent extremism. Old disputes remain unresolved, and yet new and more complex conflicts have emerged. The traditional concept of nation state is under stress at places, and the multilateral world remains unable to grapple with issues created by conflicts, new technologies, and climate. We all know that the global economic center of gravity is shifting to Asia which hosts countries with largest populations, some of the biggest economies, fastest growth rates, some of the most lucrative trading corridors, and over 40% of global GDP. And not to miss some of the most worrying global hotspots, 
long-standing unresolved conflicts that unfortunately continue to simmer in an absent regional security architecture. Pakistan is affected by all shades of these developments. We have a population of nearly 180 million with tremendous economic potential. At the same time, long-standing conflicts in our region have made our journey to development tardy with obstacles. The world around us today and our sense of Pakistan's desirable place in it informs our strategic perspective for the future. We are competing to find room among the new emerging markets and achieve social and economic indicators that could represent our true potential. That, ladies and gentlemen, would be, the, would be our best contribution to our own future, our region, and the world. The nations that have turned the tide in improving quality of lives of their people could do so in a peaceful neighborhood and under internal stability. Our quest to achieve enduring peace, security, and beneficial development for our people also starts with initiatives to develop these necessary fundamentals. Therefore, Pakistan has aimed for a conscious and well-considered strategic shift, pivoting the policy on three conspicuous strengths. One, internal peace, security, and cohesion. Two, building a peaceful neighborhood. Three, rebalancing between geostrategic and geoeconomic priorities with a sharper focus on economic diplomacy. And perhaps I could add a fourth one to strengthen partnerships with governments, international organizations, and overseas commun communities. Within the framework of this overarching strategy, we are working to revive the economy, overcome energy shortages, combat terrorism and violent extremism, expand trade and investment cooperation, and foster good neighborly relations. This is clearly a tall order for a country confronting a range of challenges, both internal and external. In particular, decades of violence in our region has deeply affected our society, placing economy in distress and regional relationships strained. Despite these challenges over the past two years, the government has remained focused in single-mindedly pursuing the multifaceted agenda for revival and reinvigoration of Pakistan. The growing economic stability and improved internal security situation are the first concrete manifestation of this policy shift. Today, Pakistan's economic upturn is being noted worldwide. Our budget deficit is at a record low. Tax receipts have risen in response to efforts to broaden the base and cut exemptions. Economic indicators suggest, suggest an upswing in economic activity with increased consumer spending not seen in last many years. Foreign exchange reserves have more than doubled. Already both Moody's and SP have improved Pakistan's credit rating from first negative to stable and now positive. The IMF predicts that Pakistan's economy will grow by 4.7% next year, and the, that might be the fastest rate in eight years. But we need higher growth rates in the coming years to substantially overcome poverty challenges. There is adequate economic potential and human resource capacity to support such a growth trajectory. Foreign investment, expanded trade with overseas markets, and spurring regional economic connectivity can help Pakistan sustain such a growth trajectory. And this brings us to the critical issue of security as the founding step of this development ladder. Ladies and gentlemen, on the internal security front, our military operations in tribal areas have entered a critical phase since last year. 
the operation zarb e azb is aimed at clearing all territory in pakistan from elements that aim to terrorize pakistan or its neighbors our latest operations in north waziristan and khaibar agencies have been a big success and nearly 90% of the areas have been cleared the core of infamous tehreek-e taliban pakistan ttp has been dismantled with its leadership on the run in afghanistan some remaining high profile leaders of al qaeda were killed or captured in the last one year operations are now underway to clearing the remaining and geographically most treacherous territory coordinated law enforcement operations have also been underway across pakistan to monitor track and arrest all those challenging the writ of the state the national internal security policy and national action plan today are the embodiment of the complete national political and institutional consensus to confront terrorists physically intellectually and financially consequently we have succeeded in dismantling many sleeper cells and arrested members of banned organizations involved in attacking minorities and civil society ladies and gentlemen security challenges in south asia are not unique only to a single country and the solution too cannot be pinned on a single country terrorists and illicit networks today thrive across regions and cultures they have a symbiotic relationship which makes a zero sum view of security untenable for achieving peace we can all win or we can all lose pakistan's efforts to achieve security have started at home we are determined not to allow our territory to be used against any of our neighbors we expect the same from our neighbors as well ladies and gentlemen to this end we are striving to make similar progress on the external front especially in expanding our relationship with our key neighbors the most encouraging story that i can share with you is our growing partnership with the new afghan government we are privileged we were privileged to receive president ghani in pakistan and our leadership also has also maintained close contacts with president ghani and chief executive officer dr abdullah abdullah there is tremendous untapped potential in all fields of cooperation with afghanistan we have started by taking quite but profound steps that have already helped build confidence for the future we are working with afghanistan to lay the foundation for an enduring and of mutually beneficial cooperation in security defense trade and investment there is a lot that still remains to be done we support an afghan led reconciliation that could lead to enduring peace a successful reconciliation in afghanistan can provide stimulus for managing other intractable issues that directly or indirectly contribute to instability such as return of millions of afghan refugees narcotics and cross border terrorist networks we sincerely hope that the international community will continue to undertake its responsibilities in afghanistan and not turn a page as it did in the past repeating history risks repeating all of it on its part pakistan is determined to exercise zero tolerance for violent extremism as demonstrated by the isil we are equally determined to work with our afghan brothers to ensure that our region is safe from this phenomena ladies and gentlemen we wish to normalize our relationship with india our sense of a normalized relationship includes 
trade normalization, people-to-people exchanges as these normally exist between countries, bilateral mechanisms for nuclear risk reduction, confidence-building measures, conflict resolution, and crisis management. We have made consistent overtures to India to start the dialogue process, which could help both the countries embark on a journey that forced a healthy and normal relationship. One of the key pillars of government's foreign policy is to support and encourage regional connectivity. The most promising pillar of this policy is the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. Despite our long-standing friendship with China, there remains tremendous potential in our bilateral economic cooperation. Development of the Chinese Western region and emerging connectivity between China and the Central Asia holds great promise for economic connectivity of South and Central Asia as well. There are other regional economic projects that remain on our agenda. These include TAPI, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, gas pipeline, CASA 1000, and improved trading partnership between Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Tajikistan. We have also improved road and rail links with Iran with a view to enhance economic cooperation to the extent possible under these circumstances. Ladies and gentlemen, with this scheme of things, the United States remains our critical partner and there are strong and enduring bases for this partnership to continue in the future. Both Pakistan and the United States wish to strengthen economic connectivity between South and Central Asia. We have strong convergences in fighting terrorism and working together to stop the spread of violent extremism espoused by the ISIL. Peace and stability in Afghanistan is in our mutual interest and the benefits accruing from a stable and secure region benefits the US as much as they will benefit us. We are now on a stable and growing trajectory with the United States. In our view, Pakistan and the United States have always benefited when they work together. We are grateful for the United States support to Pakistan in broad range of areas. For many years, the United States Congress has been supportive of building Pakistan's capacity and helping us overcome our challenges. The results are visible on the ground. The United States has helped add over 1,400 megawatts to our electricity grid. The United States Aid is, uh, Agency for International Development is supporting one of the largest Fulbright scholarship program for Pakistan, especially for women. The United States assistance in building infrastructure in remote areas, such as the federally administrative tribal areas, will leave an enduring impact in stimulating economic development in an area that had been infested with extremist ideologies for decades. Above all, the recent successes that we have achieved in our counterinsurgency operations in tribal areas were made possible by the critical capabilities that the United States, United States has helped us put in place. We wish to express our thanks to the United States Congress and to the American people for this support. For the future, we hope that people-to-people -people exchanges would become the centerpiece of our relationship with trade, investment, education, and research is driving links. Enhanced trade is the quickest and the most beneficial mechanism to achieve that. While recognizing that United States assistance has been beneficial in supplementing our own efforts for economic development, we wish our long-term partnership to be anchored on trade instead of aid. Ladies and gentlemen, a growing economy and regaining our national space from networks that imperiled our security has been the hallmark of our work over the past two years. We are serious, seriously and sincerely 
invested in building relationships with our neighbors and deepening our partnership with the United States for the long term. Peace, development, and human prosperity is achievable in South Asia, and that remains our North Star for the future. I thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Secretary. It's uh, an honor and a privilege to be here on the stage with you. And uh, with such a, uh, an interesting and a highly informed audience, as you will discover, no doubt, from the conversation that will ensue. Uh, but I'm going to take uh, uh, my position as the moderator to see if I can start us off on, uh, on this conversation with, with a few questions of my own and hope that I'm not uh, stealing anyone else's thunder in the audience. Um, one of the uh, big items that was uh, discussed prior to your visit uh, was the improved relationship with the United States as part of the continuing strategic dialogue. And uh, the good news is that the dialogue is continuing. Um, it, it hasn't stopped, it hasn't faltered, hasn't gone off course. Uh, but uh, one of the key elements in this was uh, uh, reportedly uh, Pakistan's request or desire to uh, get the same kind of civilian nuclear deal that the United States gave India. Now, in the past, the U.S. has been pretty brusque in replying to that, uh, saying India and Pakistan are different. I remember Assistant Secretary Boucher's very dismissive statement to that effect uh, from some years ago. My question to you is this, given the state of play between China and Pakistan and the fact that Pakistan is, is getting uh, nuclear assistance from China, uh, ostensibly for civilian purposes, why does Pakistan need US civilian assistance in this field? Thank you, thank you. I'm truly humbled by, by the presence of such learned uh, audience here. Uh, the question that you asked is, uh, uh, you know, it started with the Pakistan-United States relations, and I want to start with that also. The, it's not just the dialogue continuing. Trust me, there's a lot of ground we have covered, in, particularly in the last two years. And we are uh, truly grateful to the uh, leadership provided by President Obama, as well as Secretary Kerry, to this process. The enhanced strategic dialogue uh, has, uh, uh, has yielded a number of working groups. There's a, there's a multifaceted uh, engagement uh, that, is, uh, that is growing. Um, as I mentioned in my statement, uh, we value the contribution that the United States has made in this partnership. And we're very happy that it's, uh, uh, this positive trajectory uh, is, uh, is moving forward. Is, uh, is going to benefit eventually Pakistan and United States both. Uh, this is a relationship that, uh, um, in, in which we invested in actually right from the days Pakistan became independent. Uh, we have seen some uh, uh, high points and some low points, but mostly high points. I think whenever these two countries work together, the whole world benefited. And therefore, uh, I'm very happy this was the centerpiece of my agenda. Uh, for the visit to the United States. Uh, on the strategic issues, uh, uh, Pakistan uh, believes 
that uh, we are uh, a responsible nuclear state. Uh, in the last decade or so, we have come a long way. And we have invested heavily in three areas. In First of all, in uh, instituting stringent export controls. We had an Export Control Act in 2004. And ever since, we have la in, uh, you know, instituted layers of, uh, of checks to make sure that no dual-use item ever proliferates from Pakistan. And I think our efforts are being acknowledged. We are engaging with all the four multilateral uh, export control regimes. Uh, we are engaged with them. And we are getting a very good response. We carried out an extensive review, uh, second review, actually. And only two days back, uh, I was able to give the notification of the harmonized list that we have with all the multilateral regimes uh, to my US counterpart uh, uh, in this domain. And uh, we, uh, we think that uh, we are proud of our achieve achievement and we'll continue to tread on, uh, on this path. The second area where we have come a long way is nuclear safety. Again, uh, touch wood, we think that we have uh, an impeccable record uh, of that. It is because uh, we, uh, we believe uh, this to be an area of high importance. Uh, and third is the nuclear security. Again, uh, while the whole region and our country in particular was afflicted with the wave of terrorism, uh, Pakistan's nuclear program remained uh, absolutely safe. Uh, while we had attacks on all kinds of installations in Pakistan, but never ever anybody came ever close, even in rhetoric about the Pakistani nuclear program. Uh, the people of Pakistan are proud of that, are the owners of, of this program, and therefore we are, uh, uh, we are very happy. And, but we are also interacting with the international community in this domain. As you know, we are actively participating in the nuclear security summit process, which President Obama had launched in his first term, and the next year perhaps uh, will be the, the, the fourth uh, summit. We are uh, engaged with the uh, with United States bilaterally and also uh, internationally. We are also working with IAEA. Uh, all our programs, uh, civil programs, are under IAEA safeguards, and we think that we are a mainstream international partner in the global non-proliferation regime. And that is why we that is our stake to the claim that we should be mainstreamed. Uh, we think that in South Asia, strategic stability that we were able to achieve and which was duly acknowledged in 2004 by both countries should be maintained. We believe that 2008 Indo-US deal was a destabilizing effect and we have not hidden our thoughts on this. We believe that a level playing field in South Asia will ensure strategic stability and therefore we like to be mainstreamed into, uh, into international non-proliferation regime. We think that we are a partner uh, of the international community. We, are, we think that we are a like-minded state and therefore, we would like to, uh, uh, to go that way. Uh, as for China, yes, we have cooperation with China. Uh, that's again, is a multifaceted cooperation uh, that we have with China. But we want to uh, mainstream our, uh, uh, our endeavors in this regard with the, with the international community. Very briefly, though, uh, what was the US or Secretary Gottmuller's response to your suggestion that Pakistan be given this kind of access or the same treatment as India? You must have seen the statement. And uh, by the way, this was a very substantive joint statement, which we worked and negotiated together. 
this is way too different from the earlier statements, which were not really substantive statements. Uh, this because there is a greater recognition within the United States of the perspective that Pakistan is bringing to the table. And we are not doing it only in rhetoric. We are doing it by actions on ground. And our, our actions on ground speak louder than our words. And I think there is a greater understanding of the perspective that Pakistan is bringing uh, on this issue. Um, you quite rightly pointed out to the positive economic indicators. Um, the IMF uh, mission and its rep subsequent report does indicate that almost all the indicators have been on an upward trajectory. Uh, one of the reasons for this, uh, and just one, but a big reason is the enormous windfall that Pakistan has gained from the price, the dropping of the price of uh, global energy. Uh, the IMF calculated it was roughly about 2.8 billion a year. Um, other calculations put it at 5 billion a year, which is way more than any foreign assistance that Pakistan has or can receive from other places. Uh, so it'll be critical to see what the country does with this windfall over the next three to four years. Uh, my question is, uh, the CSF, which has been one of the mainstays of the, uh, sustaining the military operations, uh, particularly in Fatah, is uh, drying up, will dry up. Uh, was there any movement in your discussion, particularly with people on the Hill, for any way of transmogrifying, reshaping that arrangement so that Pakistan would continue to receive assistance for its operations in the region? Sure. Thanks. Thank you for your question. But let me just make a brief comment on the first part of your question. Pakistan um, is a resilient nation. We have seen tough times, and we have sailed through them. And I think the kind of challenges that we faced in the last one decade since 9-11 uh, very few nations have done that, but we have come out of it. We have come out of it, and uh, you have seen the, the kind of successes we are achieving in, in uh, bringing stability, bringing security, and spurring development. Uh, uh, so it's a wholehearted effort, not just uh, uh, windfall from one particular development. Uh, fundamentals are all strong, and we are very confident. On the coalition support fund uh, reimbursements that you have uh, mentioned, uh, Pakistan and United States have been partner in achieving a collective objective. In fact, that was not an objective uh, shared only by Pakistan and United States. I think it was a global endeavor sanctified by UN resolutions to undertake joint operations and undertake joint efforts uh, to make sure that terrorism is rooted out that terrorists have no space in our uh, uh, area. And, and we, uh, are, we have spent far more money and resources and human capital, uh, uh, not because as a favor to anybody, but because we believed in, in that. Uh, over uh, 60,000 lives have been lost. Uh, over 5,000 of security persons have laid down their lives. Uh, we have uh, an economic cost estimate is about $103 billion that we have lost on this. So it's not a small price that, uh, that Pakistan has paid. It's a huge price. But the people of Pakistan are determined and our resolve is, uh, is steeled. And the United States has shown a full 
understanding of, uh, uh, of this. And that is why CSF has continued because it's partially compensate for the huge expenditure that Pakistan is, uh, is incurring uh, for, a, for an objective which is global objective. It's not just Pakistan and United States objective, but we appreciate that, that contribution. Uh, we know that uh, uh, there will be CSF continuing at least until next year. And we, we think that Pakistan, which has deployed 193,000 uh, forces even now, which has actually grown up, which has actually increased given the challenge in North Waziristan, the kind of operation we are launching. Uh, so uh, it, is, it is a partnership of the international community that we look forward to, and we deeply value and appreciate that, and we do mention these things in our uh, in discussions with the United States uh, officials. So this is an ongoing discussion beyond 2016, that's what right. you're saying. That's Thank right. you. Um, I don't want to take too much time uh, from my audience, but let me uh, move to one thing that you said, uh, which you said before your visit and other officials in Pakistan have also said, um, and this is the question of Pakistan ensuring that its territory will not be used mm -hmm. uh, by uh, proxies mm -hmm. for attacking neighboring mm -hmm. countries, by which I assume you refer to both Afghanistan and India, uh, because this has been an issue with India in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my big question is, um, are we seeing, and you mentioned the Cold War, are we seeing uh, the reemergence of a Cold War between India and Pakistan after a brief period of uh, what appeared to be uh, a thawing of the relationship? Uh, and if that's the case, uh, rather than, as you put it, we, uh, we meaning Pakistan, as you put it, uh, have suggested and are waiting for India to take the next steps, is there something that Pakistan can do on its own which benefits the building of confidence in this relationship? And specifically, can it, for instance, open the people-to-people -people contacts by allowing uh, religious visas on arrival or without visas for people to come from India to holy places in Pakistan. Thank you. Um, yes, true. We uh, are fully committed to a commitment that we have given uh, to not to anybody else, but to our own selves, that our territory will not be used by the terrorists to create instability or terrorism either in Pakistan or outside Pakistan including our neighbors. We are, uh, uh, the, you know, in the last year and a half, ladies and gentlemen, I draw your attention to what has happened in Pakistan. I think it is important for you to see that paradigm change that has occurred in Pakistan. When this present government took office in, in June of 2013, there was still not a full national consensus on how do we tackle the, the, the terrorism. And the government spent a lot of time in building that national consensus, uh, whereby nobody would be able to buy the flawed narrative that the Taliban and other terrorists have been fielding and trying to gain the sympathy of people. So that national consensus was built. Every political party came on board. And once that happened, and once that happened, the military moved in in June of last year. And you, you saw this remarkable success that military operation achieved, thanks mainly to the national consensus, through the support that the whole nation was ready to give to this operation. People became convinced that no non-state actor, 
challenging the rate of the state. No terrorist is a good terrorist or a bad terrorist. No Taliban is a good Taliban or a bad terrorist. They are not assets. They are only liabilities. So this kind of consensus has driven this whole process. So as a result, we are re re achieving remarkable success. And we were lucky that we had, uh, around the same time, a government in Afghanistan, uh, national unity government led by President Ashraf Ghani, which also shared this uh, consensus with us and we we started to work together there are challenges no doubt but we are not deterred by those challenges and I can talk more about it once we there is a question to it but I want to stick to to answering your question that yes we are fully committed and that commitment also applies to India Pakistan uh, wants good neighborly relations with India there is no doubt doubt about it Pakistan uh, uh, is open to continuing dialogue with with India uh, the dialogue is suspended not because of us, it's because of India. And, uh, and, but we have made it clear uh, that, that to us, the only solution to move forward is through dialogue, like all civilized nations do, to sit across the table. You referred in particular to people-to-people uh, -people exchanges? Yes, that is a very, very important area. We want to promote that. We were able to implement that uh, visa agreement that the two countries had signed. Uh, I'm afraid to say that uh, I'm not seeing full reciprocity on that. You mentioned the religious pilgrims, for example. In the last two years, uh, most of our religious pilgrims, they were denied visa right at the 11th hour, when they had all gathered in Lahore, ready to move only 24 hours before. Now, this is a matter of record. And it's not that something that I am cooking up. Whereas we were able to welcome Indian religious pilgrims on all of them. Uh, particularly, as you know, six yatris come. And for them, they are, we are always honored and, uh, and uh, privileged to extend facility to them. Uh, so we are happy that people-to-people uh, uh, -people exchanges should happen for, for our part. We, uh, we remain committed to that, and I hope that uh, uh, that commitment will be reciprocate from, reciprocated from the Indian side. Uh, a few days back, uh, when I came here, uh, you know, uh, uh, there was an issue which had come up, and I asked Ambassador Jilani as to what is the status of that, uh, because there were some complaints from Pakistani Americans that they don't get Indian visa. Uh, they are told that you have to uh, apply to your embassy uh, that it should renounce, that you are renouncing the Pakistani nationality first. And once the embassy issues you a certificate that your, uh, your application has been accepted and you are no more a Pakistani, and that would be taken to the, um, uh, to the Indian embassy to issue visas. So I, I, I said, this is not really a good uh, idea. So I asked Ambassador Jilani, are you doing the same? He said, no, we are not doing the same. We will not do the same because it's a bad way to go. So we are fully committed to people-to-people -people contacts. We honor and respect all Indian Americans because they are, you know, Americans in the, in the, in the first place. And that uh, uh, should apply to, uh, uh, to, in my view, Pakistani Americans as well. Thank you. Um, just for the record, Indian Americans do renounce their citizenship when they take U.S. citizenship because they don't have dual they don't citizenship, have dual. Okay. so it doesn't apply to them. Um, I'm going to open it up to the audience now, and I'm going to try and recognize people in the order in which I see them. So that may not be the order in which you raised your hand. Uh, <laughs> the ambassador has to leave at 10.45 sharp, so if you can keep your questions short, um, he will be able to answer them briefly, and we'll get as many as we can. 
uh, in the process. Um, secondly, please, when you're identified, wait for the microphone to reach you, and then give us uh, a very brief description of who you are so that the ambassador knows uh, who is posing the question. So that's the administrative stuff out of the way. Let me start uh, in, in the middle over here. Uh, can we get the microphone here, please? Hi, my name is Kara, and I'm from the University of Southern California. Um, you mentioned in your opening statement about the normalization of relationships between Pakistan and India. And I was wondering, what role is your dual nuclear capabilities playing in those relations? We want to have normal relations with India. There's no doubt in our mind. And I tell you the proof of that is uh, if the political consensus that exists, if, you know, when elections happened two years ago, all political parties published their manifesto, and this was one common factor, that we want to have normal, good, neighborly relations with India. And particularly the ruling government now, the ruling party which is leading the government now, uh, made it, was more explicit about it, about this commitment. And I think they are still uh, uh, committed to that. I don't see that consensus on the India side, I am afraid to say. But nevertheless, we, we think that that is the right direction to steer, and that's where we will move. As for strategic stability, uh, we think that uh, uh, given the the huge and growing conventional asymmetry between Pakistan and India, you know, uh, that in itself has inherent seeds of instability. And therefore, the nuclearization of South Asia actually worked towards bringing a degree and modicum of, of stability uh, between the two countries. Uh, actually, it helped, in my way, uh, view, uh, it can also uh, help in stemming any arms race between the two countries. Uh, so uh, this was something that, as I said, was accepted by both countries that it was a factor of stability uh, for, the, for the two countries. Both countries have to behave as a responsible nuclear state. That is what Pakistan has invested, I indicated to you, heavily on that. And I think if that happens and Pakistan is mainstreamed into, into, into the global nuclear regimes, uh, you would see that it would have a very salutary effect on, on South Asia. Thank you. Um, going to move here. Um, and I'll try and move around the room Thank so you, I've yeah. got the others. Uh, Amanullah Gilza, halfback uh, analyst based in Washington, D.C. Uh, you talk about uh, uh, Pakistan-Afghanistan uh, rapprochement. Uh, we have heard through the media that uh, Afghan President Ashraf Ghani has sent uh, a letter to Pakistan and making certain demands which includes uh, clamping down on Taliban activities in Pakistan and also even arresting their leaders. And the letter actually warns Pakistan that if uh, we don't, what Kabul says, if you don't get an answer within weeks, probably two weeks are left now, uh, our outreach toward Pakistan would come to an end. So um, in this situation that I've been following the Afghan media uh, here from Washington, it looks like that uh, there are like uh, too many parties within Afghanistan that they are a lot less uh, trusting of Pakistan than Ashraf Ghani himself. So is Pakistan, first of all, what Pakistan would do? And secondly, is Pakistan reaching out to those forces within Afghanistan, like um, the camp of Abdullah Abdullah, the Afghan parliament, and the mainstream Afghan media uh, to keep the rapprochement uh, continuing? 
Thank you very much for also indicating the answer that I should give you to the question you raised. Well, uh, mm, uh, we are quite committed. Uh, actually, we are fully committed to the vision that our prime minister has given, which is to have peaceful neighborhood. And Afghanistan was a good story. I think it is after uh, decades of instability in that country. Uh, it is important to recognize and share the perception, uh, share the conviction that we need a peaceful Afghanistan. The world needs a peaceful Afghanistan. More so, Pakistan needs a peaceful Afghanistan. We believe that a peaceful, stable, united, prosperous Afghanistan is in our direct vested national interest of Pakistan. We are quite convinced about it. There is a national consensus between the institutions, between the pe uh, people, and voiced by our leadership that we want to have a, we want to see a stable Afghanistan, and we would do whatever is within our means to, 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 do, to do that. We know that there are challenges, as you indicated, the letter indicates. We have had a frank, candid, open dialogue with the Afghan leadership. We are very happy that uh, President Ashraf Ghani came over to Pakistan last November. Uh, as you are aware, last month on 12th May, Prime Minister went to Afghanistan, and standing side by side, the Prime Minister made a categoric statement. If you see that statement, I don't know whether you have the copies, otherwise you, we, you, know, you can find it on the website. Pakistan condemned the resurgence of violence in Afghanistan by Taliban, condemned the Operation Azm, as they call it. Pakistan said that we would outlaw, these people, elements will be outlawed and hunted down. And ever since 12 May, I have attended a series of meetings where we have been working day in and day out how to follow through that. We are very convinced about it. You see, we, we know that Taliban uh, are, are, are not a friend of Pakistan or not a friend of Afghanistan. They are our common enemy, and we have to work together to, to do that, and we will do that. Pakistan has sent very clear messages to Taliban that, they, that violence is not acceptable. Yes, but there are certain elements within Afghanistan, uh, within Taliban, who want to reconcile. And that has been the desire of President Rashid Ghani too, that, they, that we, should, we should bring them into mainstream and reconcile them. Because, you want to, because if they get reconciled, it's a preferred option. You want to see stability in Afghanistan come. And therefore, that has been our message. And we, we had arrested so many uh, Taliban are not available on the roads and, and, and across the table. They are underground and running like all other insurgents and all other terrorists do. But we arrest them wherever we can. And those of them, at the request of Afghan, uh, Afghan government, about 50 of them were released. We also took them, arranged, helped arrange a number of meetings. Some of them have become public uh, for reconciliation uh, efforts. So we are very sincere on this. And as I said, it's not a favor to Afghanistan. It's not a favor to anybody else. We, be, we are convinced of the efficacy and the correctness of the, of the direction that we have taken. There will be challenges. There will be detractors. But we will not get distracted. We will not get deterred by that. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Abdullah. Yes, indeed. When Prime Minister went there, he made sure that he meet, meets Dr. Abdullah Abdullah. In the lunch that we had, both president and chief executive were there. We have cordial relations with, uh, with Dr. Abdullah. Not only on that, we have reached out to all factions in, Af in Afghanistan. We have to, all of us, and that I'm speaking not only for as a Pakistani, but I think all of us have to treat Afghanistan as a sovereign, independent, honorable country. 
which should whose traditions um, are rich whose culture is rich and it should be given the respect that 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 it that is due to it i think this kind of direction is a correct direction in my view and we will not get distracted by the propaganda and uh, by some people who do not like to see us move in that direction we will continue to move in that in that direction uh, uh, and it's not just the security segment there are there's a lot of work going on on the economic side and pakistan wants to facilitate the transit trade for afghanistan through pakistani ports as much as as we can we are working overtime on this because we are convinced of of uh, of the direction we we have taken uh, you mentioned uh, did you mention about this mou or I, yeah the, so that i that i have addressed so uh, but i'll be happy to elaborate further if if there are still any questions i'm sure there'll be questions about the mou now yeah uh, barbara uh, and and then i'll move around thank you very much Shuja, great to see you again. This is, uh, I'm Barbara Slavin, I'm a senior fellow here, and I work on Iran. And you didn't say very much about Iran, you kind of went over it very quickly. You mentioned Tapi, but you didn't talk about the peace pipeline. So I'm curious, what are, what are your expectations, assuming there is a nuclear agreement, sanctions are relieved for Iran-Pakistan relations, particularly for the, the peace pipeline and, and natural gas? And if I could add on just one, one other thing briefly, um, your view of the war in Yemen, and I know that Pakistan refused to send ground troops to, to help the Saudis there. Are you doing anything to try to bring that conflict to an end? Thank you. Thank you. In case I, I shouldn't forget, this was one Iran and Yemen. Uh, <clears throat> let me start with that. Um, uh, Iran is a very important neighbor of Pakistan. Our ties go back in time. There is such a deep cultural imprint, not only in Pakistan, of the Persian culture, but also in the whole of India. Uh, we value that relationship. But we know that uh, uh, that uh, there were issues on on the uh, you know on the nuclear dimension of it, uh, and Pakistan was actually very happy when uh, uh, the dialogue between P five plus one and Iran started to bear fruit and started to move in the right direction. We had taken a position all along that we are living in a region which already has a large number of conflicts afflicting us. We don't want to see any another military conflict. We do not want to see a resolution of this, a military solution of this, uh, this problem. And therefore, we, uh, we were very happy that a peaceful, uh, negotiated solution was being found. Uh, we, we hope uh, that uh, it would reach its logical end. And we would be one of the direct beneficiaries of that because Pakistan is suffering from energy shortages. We wanted that gas pipeline, uh, uh, you know, acutely. Uh, we still are committed to it, but because of the U.S. sanctions, we could not move on that. And, uh, and therefore, we pended it till the lifting of sanctions. We hope that after uh, uh, the joint program of action has been uh, has been fully agreed upon, modalities agreed, and the sanctions are lifted, we can revive that project. That project is very much on the cards. We have not given, given that up because it's a very uh, uh, useful and uh, accessible and economical source of energy uh, that, that we need to get. Uh, on uh, Yemen, uh, 
Pakistan again has very close ties uh, with Saudi Arabia. Uh, and and we go, again we go back in time. Pakistan and South Pakistan and Saudi Arabia have stood by each other. Uh, we are uh, uh, we also are strongly uh, bonded by by our common faith. Uh, there are two holy holiest of mosques in Saudi Arabia, which every Pakistani. Uh, holds in highest of, of esteem. There are two million plus Pakistanis who are working in Saudi Arabia uh, and uh, are uh, contributing to the economy of Pakistan. So it's a relationship that we deeply value and and uh, and respect. And when Saudis uh, uh, went for uh, for a decision to launch airstrikes, uh, Pakistan uh, took a position. And it was a public position. We first talked to the Saudis. We have a number of uh, visits. In fact, uh, uh, the Prime Minister's latest visit of 23rd April, uh, if you read this statement, it spells out very clearly what Pakistan's position is. One, Pakistan believes that if Saudi Arabia's territorial integrity is violated, breached, aggressed against, Pakistan will. Uh, will uh, you know uh, not s uh, sit idly we would react and uh, that is a commitment we uh, we will stand by uh, uh, that is a commitment we have honored in the past also when iraq had kuwait uh, attacked kuwait pakistan did come to saudi arabia's help so it's not something that which is an unusual thing uh, second we have supported the political objective of the uh, of the saudi led coalition i.e. that the Houthis uh, uh, should not have overthrown a legitimate uh, government in, uh, in Yemen, uh, that the Houthis must withdraw from the territories seized by them, including from Sana'a. And we do recognize the government led by President Hadi. In fact, when Prime Minister on 23rd April was in Riyadh, he did meet President Hadi of, of, of Yemen. So to that extent also we support. And as you know that the UN Security Council Resolution 2216 uh, also of 14 April also uh, recognizes the, the, the same. Uh, we are also committed to uh, attending to the humanitarian consequences of the actions being taken. We have uh, offered uh, a million dollar uh, uh, for, uh, as our contribution to a Riyadh based center uh, for attending to them. We are ready to cooperate uh, within the uh, fold of the United Nations Security Council resolution uh, on, on, on that account. And as for moving ground troops into Yemen, Pakistan believes that uh, uh, that you know if we move in that direction it could have much bigger it could you know flare up the conflict and therefore we are talking to the saudis and giving them our advice as to how we view uh, view this thing so that's the uh, that's the position we have taken uh, on german uh, map thank you i'm going to move to this side so the gentleman there and then after that, we'll move to uh, the front row over here, and then I'll take the others. Uh, yes, I'm Russell King. I'm a retired infotech specialist from IRS. I'm looking at this water security issue brief from, from the Atlantic Council. On page two, it shows the Indus River Basin. And I'm noticing uh, it doesn't seem that on the map there's any major tributary of the Indus coming from Pakistan. Most are coming from India, and there's Kabul uh, River coming from Afghanistan, I believe. 
But uh, Egypt has that problem, of course, with upstream neighbors as well, with Sudan and uh, Ethiopia. But I'm wondering what your relationship is with upstream nations uh, in regard to the Indus River. Yeah, thank you. Indus Waters Treaty uh, is an agreement that has survived all conflicts between India and Pakistan. Uh, it has uh, instituted mechanisms which uh, uh, administer the flow of waters in all the six rivers. As you know, broadly, the three eastern rivers were given to India and three western rivers were given to Pakistan. Uh, so that arrangement has somehow continued. Even during the wars, we were able to, uh, so we, we are committed to Indus Waters Treaty. We believe that uh, 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 this treaty serves our interests best. Uh, we know that there have been attempts by India uh, in, uh, uh, in uh, trying to get more share of water from the three western rivers which were allocated to Pakistan by building a series of uh, dams uh, on them or diverting some of the tri tributaries. Uh, so we challenged those. We did challenge that uh, the Kishan Ganga tributary, for example, uh, and, uh, uh, and wherever the dams are built because the treaty provides very precise limits of what can be done in terms of the use of water on the three western rivers. And we are following, following that. And I think uh, uh, since you are following it, you must have seen the arbitration uh, that we went into on the Kishan Ganga River, which set the parameters correctly. And, uh, and that would provide the guidance also for the future use. We are committed to Indus Waters Treaty. The Indus Waters Commissioners on both countries meet very regularly. We hope that India would continue to honor that and not uh, uh, breach uh, mm, uh, the the use of water that is entitled to it from the from the western rivers because those as a whole those water uh, rivers were given to Pakistan. And just as a commercial announcement on behalf of the South Asia Centre, uh, we launched a track two between India and Pakistan on water issues, which is quite successful. Lovely. So uh, we'll move over here and then I'll, I'll identify. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Arnold Zeitlin, and uh, I uh, opened the uh, first you can Associated Press. Closer to your. I, I opened the first Associated Press Bureau in uh, Pakistan in 1969, and uh, at the age of 83, I take the privilege of sitting down. Uh, I've lately been teaching in China, and I wonder if uh, you could uh, assess. Uh, the impact, if any, of the Chinese involvement in seeking a resolution in Afghanistan. Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, the Chinese have indicated uh, their growing interest in Afghanistan. Uh, they uh, have done so directly to Afghan government, but of course it's a public knowledge. Uh, we also have a three-way trilateral a dialogue, Pakistan, China, and Afghanistan, like we have a three-way Pakistan, United States, and, and Afghanistan, Pakistan, Turkey, and Afghanistan, Pakistan, United Kingdom, and Afghanistan, and so on and so forth. All these attempts by the regional countries are born out of a conviction that the regional problems would require regional solutions. And that is why we have welcomed all these efforts that are being made by the neighbors of Afghanistan, and China also is a neighbor, as you know, it shares a, a, a small border. Uh, we, we believe that it's a, it's a healthy thing. 
We think we all need to work together as the United States and NATO forces and ISAF forces have withdrawn uh, or uh, drawn down, uh, probably correctly. Uh, it was important that regional countries step forward and play their role. Uh, Pakistan, for its part, uh, has also, uh, as you must have seen in the, in the news, uh, followed up on what is called Heart of Asia Istanbul process which started in 2011 by Turkey, but then it went on to Kazakhstan and then to, uh, and then to Beijing, where it assumed a high profile, and Pakistan is now the present co-chair, and we just had one meeting last month, and we're going to have another big meeting uh, now this, uh, in November. Now, this process has uh, neighbors of Afghanistan and the neighbors of neighbors of Afghanistan. There are about uh, 14 countries. And then we have... Uh, uh, supporting countries, United States and, and, and so many others, they are, there are another 12 countries. And then we have about 16 international organizations, so altogether about 44, group of 44. They meet and they discuss how best we can serve the interests of Afghanistan. And Afghanistan co-chairs that. Afghanistan co-chairs that process. So it's not a, uh, and, and China is very, very active in that, that process also. The Chinese involvement, we believe, will be a positive uh, factor uh, in Afghanistan. Mr. Secretary, I'm going to speed up the process now, given your, your expected time of departure. Sure. Sure. So I'm going to go to the back uh, against the wall first, and then we'll take two questions at a time, and then to the front uh, at, at the corner. Uh, so can we get a microphone to Raghubir? Thank you very much. It's good to see you, Mr. Ambassador, Mr. Secretary. This is Raghubir Goyal from India Globe in Asia today. Two leaders, Prime Minister Modi and Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, they started a very close relations. My question is, many people are asking, in India and Pakistan, this relationship is between the two leaders or how the two countries are doing and what is the future? And second, many minorities in, in, in Pakistan are asking, that before Pakistan reaches its neighbors, they should reach out inside the minorities are under, uh, under attack, like uh, Hindus, Christians, or Baluchis, or even Sindhis. And uh, because what they are saying is there are many terrorists uh, who have already challenged Pakistan's nuclear uh, issues and nuclear uh, plants. Like uh, and and uh, finally, sir, India is saying that before we mean, means India and Pakistan can move on there must be a consensus, like uh, uh, you said earlier, people-to-people -people, uh, dialogue. But people in Pakistan are asking, or people in India are asking, that terrorism must stop between the two countries. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And we'll take the second question in the front, uh, front row over here, please. Then I'll come back to you. Thank you. Um, in your remarks, you said If you that could identify yourself, oh, please, for the record. Ziamia from Princeton University. Um, in your remarks, you focused on the primacy of the domestic situation in terms of establishing peace and security within in Pakistan. And I wanted to ask you to explain a little bit about how the problem of people being disappeared by state agencies, which has been recognized by Pakistan's Supreme Court as an enduring problem of Pakistan's efforts to deal with the situation, especially Baloch uh, activists who have been disappeared by the intelligence agencies. Um, and secondly, the problem, the fact that over the last 15 years, we have recognized the enormous contribution made by the 
public education system and not just the madrasa system in creating a generation of young people in Pakistan who have a way of thinking about the world that is very hostile and uh, is a source of conflict and violence. And so my question is, how can Pakistan pursue peace and security at home without fundamentally disciplining the use of force by government agencies against its own people in clear violation of law? And secondly, to reform the education system in a way that actually does not make this a multi-generational struggle where Pakistani children are at war with their own country for a very long time. Thank you. Thank you. Should I take it or do you want to take no, another? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. We'll okay. take two more. All right. Uh, by Mr. Goyal, uh, it was actually a series of uh, uh, questions combined into, into one. Uh, but you started with India-Pakistan. So let me start with that. Whether, uh, and if I can get your question right, you said that whether it is only a relationship dependent on the rapport, if I may use that word, between the two leaders, or is it the country-to-country -country relationship that... No, it is certainly country-to-country. -country. There's no doubt in it. It's, it's the people-to-people -people and country-to-country -country relationship that matters. The people of Pakistan want to have peaceful coexistence with the people of India. Governments change, leaders also change, but they play a very important role. They, they ride on the, uh, on, uh, you know, on the wave of popular support. Uh, they are the elected people. And in our case, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif had made it amply clear that he would like to see a good neighborly relations with India. I think nobody in this hall would ever even doubt, uh, or you did not raise any doubt. And he reached out to Mr. Modi when he got elected. Actually, he accepted to participate in, in his oath-taking ceremony. And there was a good meeting between the two leaders. And I was there in that meeting, and I know that it was a good meeting. It set off very well. But then, uh, the Indian side decided for its own reasons to cancel the visit of their foreign secretary and we, we waited for another seven months and then the visit happened and then again a couple of months and nothing has come of it. That is sad that, it, that uh, despite the wish being there, we have not uh, moved and I, we believe that we need to move in that direction. We believe that there are a number of areas we can talk about it. Yes, India, uh, we do hear Indians uh, say whatever they want to say because we, that's how we would understand their perspective. Indians have made the statement that they would like to see a dialogue in an environment free of terror. Yes, that's so, so do we say that. You know, um, we know that every now and then effort is made uh, from the Indian side. We see a lot of fire on the line of control. And sometimes it is linked to certain internal developments. And so that is a kind of uh, terrorism too. We also see that actions are not taken on many of the terrorist in, uh, incidents like on for the perpetrators of Samjota Express. Whereas on Pakistan side, we are taking huge efforts to bring the perpetrators of, of Mumbai just, uh, a terrorist act to justice, despite the fact that we have not received the kind of evidence that we would have liked to see uh, from India. So we are also committed to the same objective. But we want that this all should happen and can happen only when the two countries are talking to each other. We remain ready, but of course we will be ready only when India is ready to talk. We is not in uh, one-way traffic in any case. Uh, but we are quite committed to it. You mentioned minorities, and I think in a way you also refer to that. Minorities uh, uh, are a very, very important part and component of Pakistani polity and society. No democratic government in Pakistan will ever think of. In fact, on the other hand, we have gone an extra mile 
to make sure. Recently, in my own ministry, actually, there was a recruitment going on. And I know that we made sure that the prescribed quota for minorities was actually increased to make sure that they are there. Their voices are there. They, they, they bring uh, to Pakistan a great deal of value. They, are, they make us a pluralistic society that we want to be. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, absolutely, uh, we, will, uh, uh, we remain committed to that. The governments remain committed to that. Whenever and wherever such an incident happens, it is strongly condemned by the leadership. The leadership spurns into action. Uh, and it's not unique to Pakistan, by the way. Minorities do get uh, affected in many other countries uh, in our neighborhood and beyond. Uh, so this is a universal goal and objective that we all want to achieve, and Pakistan, for its part, is is is, is fully committed uh, to that. Uh, Ziamia's uh, uh, sir, your question uh, whether people are disappearing uh, and are these bloch uh, dissidents who are disappearing, uh, and then you mentioned something about public education system, which, in your view, produces youngsters who are hostile. I hope I recaptured your question properly. Uh, uh, and you wanted that first we should focus on peace and security at home and shun the use of violence by what you say as the uh, committed by agencies and so on and so forth. So I got your question right because I didn't want you to, to feel that I'm shunning your question. No, not at all. Because I know that it has a, it is a, a, it is a flawed understanding of what's going on in Pakistan. I think it's, a, it's not a correct understanding of what's going on in Pakistan. You've got to visit Pakistan again and see what's going on. Uh, there's, a, there's a big change uh, happening in Pakistan, as I said. It's a paradigm shift that's taking place. The democratic roots are gaining grounds. And countries like United States, European Union, and others are, are, are good partners of Pakistan. In, 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 and democracy is not only about uh, uh, about going to elections it's also about caring for the minorities caring for all segments of your your society we know that's uh, and there's you know there's a bloch nationalist who is the chief minister in balochistan it's a government comprising of bloch nationalists so who speaks for the bloches those who have been elected by the Balochi people, or those some disgruntled elements who have run away are financed by certain foreign countries sitting in cushy homes somewhere and, and churning out these kind of propaganda? No. You come to Balochistan and you see what's happening in Balochistan. It's a tide of development taking place. Where is Gawadar? It's in Balochistan, heart of Balochistan. And, and the entire, and recently there was an internal debate whether the China-Pakistan economic corridor would go east, central, or west. And the government came to the conclusion that it will be a western route. We want to develop that. So I would, you have your view, you're entitled to your view. But I'm telling you, it's not a correct assessment of the situation that's going on. You come there, and you will see what's going on. And you will see how much development is taking place. We do not want to get distracted by the propaganda of some people who have been sponsored by, uh, by foreign elements. We don't get, uh, we, it's open to see. People can come. We, we conduct them. We want them to meet ordinary people in Balochistan. You mentioned about the public education system. Yes, there, is, there are big, huge challenges. But there are many good people like you who are there to raise these voices within our country. The civil society is gaining ground. The media has become so vibrant that some people sometimes perhaps feel that, uh, you know, but I don't share that perception. I think media is doing a fantastic job because it is keeping government functionaries like me on the toes. 
it, it, it makes sure that we follow, the, we, we follow the right line. Civil society, has, it has given weight and voice uh, to this uh, civil society, uh, to the think tanks. There's a, there's a growth of think tanks within Islamabad, I can see, in the last couple of years. So Pakistan is changing, ladies and gentlemen. Pakistan is, is, is becoming a much maturer nation uh, and, uh, and a democratic nation which will meet the aspirations of its people. And uh, I hope that uh, uh, one day, you, once you come there, and you are able to personally attest to what I am saying. Mr. Secretary, with your permission, if I could steal another minute. Sure, sir. Uh, Daisy Schaefer has been very Absolutely. patient. Absolutely. No, she's a very respected name. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. has the lady uh, in her row uh, in the, over there. So we'll get two quick questions. Thank you very much. I'm Daisy Schaefer, uh, now with uh, Brookings and McLarty Associates. I was struck by the fact that your pre prepared remarks put so much stress on economics and delighted to hear that you are recognizing this as a necessary foundation of a happy future for Pakistan. Um, I was also struck by your remark on civil society gaining ground. I must share with you a concern, and the ambassador is aware that this is on my mind and a lot of other people's minds, uh, about the effort now underway to uh, re-register or deregister international NGOs who are working in Pakistan. Uh, these are people who are basically natural allies for the job Pakistan has to do to shape up its economy. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, this effort is gaining, uh, is uh, causing a great deal of anxiety and real questions about uh, whether Pakistan is uh, basically trying to get rid of a presence that it sometimes finds inconvenient. Thank you. Can we uh, get yeah, a quick, sure. quick second question in the same row, please? Thank you. And I apologize to the rest. I'm, I wish we had more time. Okay, we can take the third one. And, okay. You know, okay. We'll drive fast All to right. the next appointment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the third one over there. Uh, so, hi, my name is Ivy, and I'm with the University of Southern California. So, I have a quick question in regards to the AIIB, um, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. So, as we know, both India and Pakistan are part of um, the AIIB. So, and however, the United States is holding a different idea to this newly China-led um, global financial system. So my question is, how does the AIIB, what challenges has um, is the AIIB brought to the trading relationship between the Pakistan and the United States? And how does Pakistan overcome these challenges? Thanks. Okay, last question over there, and my apologies to the rest. I'm yeah. so sorry. Uh, I'm Hu Ziyong from Shanghai Academy of Sciences. Now I'm a visiting professor in Lord City University. I studied Southeast Asia for more than 31 years. I went to India and Pakistan every year. But I think when I visit India, I'm free. But when I went to Pakistan, it's very dangerous. This February, I went to Karachi. But the hotel's administrator told me that I can't go to outside the hotel. But when I went to India, I go everywhere. So my question is, I have two questions, quick mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. One is, uh, what concrete steps 
do your government to do to counter terrorism? Sorry. The second question is how to promote to change your security environment mm -hmm. okay. to attract more Chinese people to visit your country. I think your country is a failed country. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for your candor. Uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I respect your sentiment. Uh, but I'll start with uh, Ma'am Sheffer, a very respected name. Uh, Ma'am, so you have drawn attention to some issue that is, uh, that is under the sharp focus of the government at the moment. Uh, mainly because what happened was that over the years, uh, because of the kind of security challenges that we were meeting, many uh, undesirable elements and practices had crept into the, uh, into the development community and uh, not all, very, very minor fraction. So the government and many of them started operating way beyond the MOUs that they had signed or way beyond the mandate that they had received from their own donors. So it was not just us, but also the donors uh, who felt that way. So we, what we did was that we started a, a, a program uh, to streamline all this. In 2013, we did that in what is called Economic Affairs Division of Pakistan. And slowly and gradually, we started to register them to make sure that all these INGOs would follow their own mandate. We have nothing to do with their mandate, per se. It's just that they have to strictly follow that. And no country allows unregulated activity of NGOs or international NGOs. And that was the reason. We have streamlined bulk of the of the problem on that. It is under a sharp focus of the government and the remaining issues will also be resolved within a couple of months, you will see. In fact, a couple of months is also a longer time because the Prime Minister has constituted a high-level committee by, uh, headed by his own special assistant to look into it. Uh, so we do hope that your concerns, ma'am, would be laid to rest very, very soon, sooner than even that you expect. Uh, on the uh, question here, and I see there's a lot of University of Southern California, uh, on, uh, this was on the AIIB, the bank infrastructure bank that China has uh, uh, has established. Yes, Pakistan would be participating. You know, the the growing theme in Asia is connectivity, and but that connectivity requires resources, and the Chinese were ready to offer that through this bank, and of course we are all keen on that. But you also said that perhaps as if this would have some detrimental effect or some kind of effect vis-a-vis -vis United States are committed. No, not at all. Actually, not at all. That's what I am here for, the, with the same message, that it's not a zero-sum game. Our growing relationship with China and all these connectivity projects are not only for the people of Western China and people of Pakistan. Eventually, they are destined to blossom out to the East and West to benefit the Central Asians and the Afghans and, and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's this, uh, the, the whole region, which is the least connected region, needs to be connected. So this will come in handy. And I believe the United States itself is also interested in that. US, the whole concept of Asia pivot of the United States speaks for that. We do not see, see it as a zero-sum game. We believe that there are win-win solutions out there. 
and we we are very confident that uh, uh, that's the direction everybody will will take it's not going to be a, a conflict ridden scenario we see a, a harm, harmon uh, you know harmonized scenario where we will all benefit from from collaborative efforts the third question quickly i need to move uh, to the gentleman who uh, who felt dangerous when he went there uh, i hope you don't uh, feel dangerous because what is happening in Pakistan, you know, it's the three decades long uh, challenge that we have met. It's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, it's easy for an outsider to go and make this comment. But look at us who, who live there, live day in and day out there. Do you think we, we don't uh, uh, yearn for that kind of security? We do. We do. And that is why, that is why this whole effort that has been made this whole uh, paradigm shift that I was referring to, to rid the country from extremists and from those uh, terrorists who have brought such an insecurity to Pakistan. And um, in Pakistan, believe you me, if I have heard you, I've also heard exactly a uh, polar opposite view also. People love foreigners. When they come, they love them. And they, no, I'm not going to indulge into an argument with them because that's not the right, I, I respect your viewpoint, but I hope you have, will have the patience to listen to mine. Because what is happening in Pakistan is, is, a, is a whole lot new, new ball game. Because we want to now make this country a secure and prosperous country. And we are quite determined where people like you, when they come, they feel happy. They feel, and even now, let me tell you, many people would not share that. There are 700 international brands in Pakistan operating. Nobody puts his money in an insecure place. But there are, there's a queue, people are queuing up for investing in Pakistan. I'm sorry to say that, but this is also a reality that we see, and I hope you will also see. Thank you, sir. Um, this has been a great audience, and I want to thank the audience first, but most important, I want to thank uh, the secretary for taking this uh, precious time away from his other activities and joining us at the Atlantic Council. It's uh, again been an honor and a privilege and thank you for your candor uh, and your ability to answer all the questions. Very kind, thank sir. Thank you. I, I am really appreciated. Thank you. Thank you very much.